A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. Welcome to another edition of STT Rewind with me, Owen Hughes, and our guests this week, Steve Norman, and debuting on the show, Matt Latham. Our film section opens this week's show in part one with a chat about big screen video game adaptations in the wake of Rampage hitting cinemas this past weekend. Following Caleb Burnett's written review, we ask whether there has actually ever been a film based on a game deserving of more than three stars. In part two, the so-called Dark and gritty Lost in Space lands on planet Netflix prompting a discussion about remakes of cult and classic TV shows. Just why are there so few of them and is Lost in Space the answer to that question? And finally, in free play, spinning off from guest Matt Latham's brand new music section, we wonder how on earth anybody found new music before the invention of the internet, why people might still bother buying physical media and ask who are superorganism and are they really as weird as they sound? But for now, let's just get on with the show. Beginning as we always do here on STT Rewind with our film section, there doesn't seem a more appropriate place to start than with arcade game classic adaptation Rampage, starring Dwayne The Rock Johnson as a primateologist, which is apparently a real thing. His buddy, a big white gorilla gets even bigger, destroys a city, scraps with some monsters. It's a regular King Kong-esque creature feature. We have an expected three-star review, I think it's fair to say, that was written by Caleb Burnett uh, up on setthetape.com that you can go and read all about after this podcast. But Steve, lay them. A more fun topic to discuss, I'm sure you'll agree, is the hefty subject of video game adaptations. And point blankly, going to ask the question to you both, has there ever been a good one? No. No, just never no. been a good video game adaptation in your, your mind, Steve. I cannot think of of one that's outstandingly good. Mm-hmm. There's probably been some okay ones. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tomb Raider, some of them were okay. Like yeah. you don't you don't regret wasting your time watching them, but you probably never want to watch them again. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's yeah. it that that's the best it's it's got. I think it's a very difficult medium to convert into a movie, especially now where games can be so interactive mm-hmm. and you can play out your own kind of of story with with your characters. Yeah. Um it's I just think it's difficult to to transfer it to the big screen or even tv um yeah no, know, that's it's, fair. It's, pe- it's... people people say that 
one of the you know one of the Grand Theft Auto films uh, games would make a great film. They wouldn't because you would end up just getting quite a generic gangster or heist criminal gang movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And when it's a game and you're playing out that role yourself and you can customize your character to some extent and make them do the kind of things you want them to do. Yeah. And the and the scope of these games is so big as well, the sort of world they're played in. It's why I don't think Warcraft would have made... I mean, Warcraft's not my thing at all, but it's why I don't think the, the movie was probably particularly good because it's so much scope in the game. So if you're an avid player of Warcraft, well, what are you going to get out of a two-hour movie when you can... In two hours, you can probably do about... 0.2% sure. of a game. But the Warcraft film was based on the original Warcraft games and not the online version. Right. So, I mean, it's a bit more tight-knit, but Latham, can you think of any anything that deserves more than three stars off the top of your head? No, but mm-hmm. like at school, you got two grades, one for attainment and one for effort. <laughs> I think you, sure. might, you might have to kind of take that view with video game movies as well. Mm-hmm. I mean... When it first came out, it was really naff. And it's still naff, but I think has grown. I, I find enjoyment with the film is the Street Fighter film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, that, I, I've, I've grown to really like that as I've gotten older. I think I appreciate its kish value more. Um, mm-hmm. Okay, it's it's not exactly... It's trying to be self-aware. Raul Julia, he knows what he's in and mm-hmm. steals that film. And it's a load of fun. has one of the best lines in cinema ever. In a, it was Tuesday, and <laughs> and it's 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 just it's just a load of fun. Yeah. I completely agree what Steve says in terms of the you losing the interactivity and the scope and everything. But then I think what they don't do and what they should do, and I think Street Fighter kind of nearly did, was grab the sense of fun and mm-hmm. the the storyline and the characterization from that actually do it in a way that's entertaining um on the flip side though and it's just appeared in my head as i just said that yeah the animated street fighter film is actually Fantastic. really it is yeah. really good so i might yeah. have just cancelled myself in that <laughs> can we rephrase the question in that are all live action video game movies now yeah because, maybe that's fairer yeah mm. because thinking about it that animated street fighter film is actually a lot more faithful to the yes to the games than the live action one even though i i just said i do like the live action one although street fighter the movie the game is probably more faithful to the movie than street fighter 2 are we going to get into inception if we try to (laughs) (laughs) if you try and go it's about the street fighter the movie the game the game the movie but negating everything i've just said okay some okay i think it might be the case that the live action ones Mm -hmm. might be a bit more uh troublesome because hmm. yeah because the animated street fighter film i remember he's got perhaps one of the best fight scenes in a in any animated film i've seen i think Chun-Li? It's the, Are you thinking yeah, Chun-Li? yeah the chun in the vega yeah the vega fight but i think that i think the art style of that actually mirrors a lot of the characters in the games itself so yeah. i mean it's a question for you steve if a grand theft auto movie was cgi and not live action how would you take that? I don't think for something like that, it being live action or CGI would would make a difference. I think it's just the nature of a game like that. the 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 fun of something like Grand Theft Auto is the interactivity of mm. your playing your character and the scope of the game, how big it is. I just think that whether it's it's animated, CGI, live action, 
all you're going to get out of making a Grand Theft Auto movie is a generic film in whatever genre. So depending on which, mm-hmm. you know, if you went for, which was it? Was it Vice City? The 80s one. Yeah, you're just going to get a bog standard gangster movie. And if you just go for, I mean, I, I've no idea how you'd make the, the the most recent one into a movie with the different characters and everything, but you're just going to get a kind of generic heist movie yeah. with a bit of gang stuff and uh, criminal stuff thrown in. Mm. I was just looking like at my game collection. Well, it's not really a collection. I'm not an avid gamer, but the games that I have in front of me, and I'm just looking and, and thinking, what out of those could make a good a good movie and gears of war probably not you just get a generic sci-fi marine movie call of duty just generic war movies nothing kind of exceptional there and the nearest i come to one that would actually make be a good movie was actually fifa 18 with the with the journey <laughs> um you know the alex hunter yeah. story which perhaps not as a, a movie but as a tv show could could work and that was the dearest I got looking out of the games I have, which is a reasonable collection, thinking that a football game would come up with the best idea for yeah. a movie. Goal. And Just make goal again. But yeah. Alex Hunter. See, like, yes. I was on the um, video game podcast Character Unlock uh, a few weeks ago. And the whole topic of that was when, because Tomb Raider had just come out when we were talking about video game adaptations. And I think the more cinematic a game is, the more we tend to think that that would make a good movie. But I think it's the opposite. I think because something like The Last of Us or uh, well, Tomb Raider, because we mentioned it, or Metal Gear Solid or Grand Theft Auto or anything like that. The way that those games work is they constantly, well, most games work this way, but they constantly reward you as a player for doing little things. And so when that's translated into a movie, as a viewer rather than a, you know, the person who is controlling what is happening, you don't feel that same sense of satisfaction. No, and if they just play out the same plot as the game, yeah, exactly. If you've, played, if you've played the game, you've not lived it, but you've experienced it more intimately than what you would if you were just watching it on the screen. You've you've controlled those characters through that story. So what's just watching it going to give you? Well, what if you have a look at the genre of the games that have been represented? I think I submitted an idea for that character on Lock Podcast, and I think that was the Monkey Island games. Mm. Now, mm. point-and-click adventure games, they are very story-driven, perhaps not as rewarding on an instant level as perhaps your Call of Duties or your Gears of War or your more responsive games. But there's a a lot more in terms of narrative and character building in those kind of games. I've always thought that um, Beneath the Steel Sky would make a brilliant film. If anyone if anyone knows what I'm talking about, I've always thought Jude Law would make a good Robert Foster. Anyway, uh... right. I mean, there's there's point and click adventures like um, Indiana Jones and the Fate of Atlantis, which has always been hailed as the true sort of uh, sequel for those films. Um, but like even that, I think if you ever watch any of the long plays or anything like that on YouTube or Twitch or whatever, watching those can be quite difficult because it's still the same thing of being passive in that environment in that you're watching someone else achieve all these little things like they collect the the correct item or you know they open the the correct door or something and it's just like that doesn't really translate i don't think i think you can cut i think you could cut a lot of um Okay, I'm going to say the word chaff, but it's not in terms of yeah. puzzles. But I think, with, particularly with the face of Atlantis as well, I think uh, that's a whole little kettle of fish of 
adapting a sure. source material and completely different and spinning it on its head, which is what mm-hmm. I think a good video game movie should do, actually, um, in, do the inverse of the fate of Atlantis. And I think perhaps with, like, the live-action Street Fighter and, God forbid, actually, Dead or Alive, which is only fun <laughs> when you're really drunk yeah, and you've watched it after Double Dragon. Oh, dear. Uh, yeah, because any film looks good after Dribble Dragon. Well, you've brought us full circle because going up, uh, or already on the website, I believe, on setthetape.com, is Amy Walker's list of five great and ten not-so-great video game adaptations. And just to keep it a bit of a secret, I'm not going to tell you which list Street Fighter is on. Just to, you know, tease you and hopefully make people visit the website and check out Amy's fantastic article. <laughs> On to TV now, and in part two of STT Rewind, let's start with this past weekend's edition of 60s sci-fi remake Lost in Space, landing on Netflix. Uh, Writer Wendy Atwell published an article on setthetape.com last week about the original series following the Robinson family that, in all honesty, was the first time I even heard about a remake existing. Uh, have either of you caught any of the new show yet? I have. I haven't, um, but I was planning to. Was planning to? Well, I'll Maybe let you Steve speak. should. Yeah, <laughs> Steve, tell us about the the new uh, Lost in Space. Yeah, I've seen the first two, mm-hmm. and I won't be going back to it. Exactly how I felt. Yeah, it's like a parody of Lost in Space or a kind of sci-fi show of its ilk, without any humour. Hmm. It's so po like, doesn't it? It's it's just so predictable and by the books, and it's got every stereotypical character. And, I mean, okay, if you're copying Lost in Space, you've probably got to have these characters that fill those roles, but you could try and do something a bit different with it, mm. and they just haven't, and it's just boring. It's so dull. Yeah. It's so dull. I mean, it's extremely melodramatic, I felt, as well. It's just the story is just so much of, like, filler. Like, that first episode, we were talking just before we started recording this, actually, um, because I think, Latham, you looked at the, the length of the first episode, which is over an hour long, and just decided against giving it a chance. Yeah, I think it was. I was going to watch the first episode before we started recording, and yeah. I, I saw the, the, the runtime and thought, Oh dear. Because usually if if you see a show, I mean, this is coming from uh, an era still of of where I watched predominantly everything on television rather than on VOD. But when you see a program now along, you're expecting three or four ad breaks in that. So it's like 40 minutes of television. So get it on Netflix, it's three quarters of an hour max. Mm. Not an hour max of, of space crap. Yeah, and that's what it is. It's it's so slow. I think it would benefit if it had chopped 20 minutes out. And, you know, obviously I can say that because I'm not a um, TV editor and perhaps I'm talking out of my backside. But I think if it, if it just lost 20 minutes of, of filler or you've got that first um, uh, or the main sequence of, of the, what runs through the first episode is just waiting to get to Robbie the robot. It just takes so long. And... When it happens, it's anticlimactic and not worth the wait. It was very disappointing, I thought. It's, it's like they tried to make a dark and gritty reboot, but forgot the dark and gritty. Yes. And and everything else. And it's, all of the rest of it. It's uh, a bit of a shame. I, mean, I, I have only watched, I remember watching a few of the original that used to air on the sci- on the sci-fi channel. Yeah, and the movie with Matt LeBlanc, yeah. surely. <laughs> yeah, well, to be fair, I, I've always had a soft spot for that film. Because I remember when I watched it as a teenager, I really liked it. And... 
I really do like the premise. I think the premise sounds really good in that yeah. you've got you've got a family, close tight knit family, the major major West, yeah. um, and then you've got the villainous Doctor Smith who um, who pretty much stole the show and become like this bumbling fool. And I don't think dark and gritty is what it should be from the sounds of it. It should have some kind of escapist fare, but and I think there's I don't know. I mean, I can't really talk about it because I haven't really watched it, but. I mean, I only heard it exist, heard of it existing about a month ago, and I thought, oh, this would be interesting. Mm. And then, then like hearing you two speak about it, my kind of excitement for it's just kind just of died, fallen. yeah, fizzled. But it got me thinking about um, other sort of remakes of TV shows because they seem to. Have- this is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you. Everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive in June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive in June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two year contracts, they said, What the f? Are you talking about you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from thirty dollars a month to just fifteen dollars a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash-switch. Forty five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promoting for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Happen less frequently than uh, you get film remakes, for example. And uh, I tried to think off the top of my head what what sort of successful. TV remakes there have been. I thought V was probably quite a successful one that aired a few years back. Mm-hmm. Um, Battlestar Galactica. Battlestar Galactica, of course, a massive one. Yeah, true. Um, I, I mean, I quite enjoyed Voltron on Netflix. Wasn't House of Cards a, a remake? True. Yeah, that's that's a good point. You know, launched launched Netflix, didn't it? Basically, their original. Yeah. Yeah, and yeah. we can probably never talk about it again. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> apart from perhaps the final season, but um, yeah, yeah. Mm. from what I've seen, the remake of Ducktales. Right. I mean, at first I loved Ducktales as a kid, and the mm-hmm. first thought, at first I thought, oh, it's a bit iffy, trying to cringe at my childhood. They announced yeah. the cast, and they announced the cast. They revealed the art style, um, and the, the clever bit with the reboot of. DuckTales was that they kind of based themselves off the original Duck universe of comics rather than right. the TV series, yeah. which is probably, and it went into its own unique direction, but then had a lot of good, had pretty much had a lot of good writing, the great mm. cast, and just stood alone and might even be better than the original. Wow. 
As, I mean, everything that gets a reboot tends to get a dark and gritty one. Um, <laughs> Sabrina the Teenage Witch is getting a dark and gritty oh, yeah. reboot. Although apparently the, the, the dark and gritty bit is more what the comics are like rather than the Melissa Joan Hart Nickelodeon as show. Long, as long as Salem is in it. I am I am fully on board with that. You basically just want talking cat and you're in. Not just well, talking, it, sassy cat. It's got to be a sassy black cat. Sarcastic. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. Sa- it's Sally Draper and a talking cat. I mean, I'm sold already. <laughs> yeah. It's been a long while since I've watched it, but from what I gathered, the Battlestar Galactica at the time, it was in 2003, and it had a lot of parallels to what was happening in the world at that time. It was only about two years off. 911 mm-hmm. and the fear of terrorism and the struggle of surviving and that that managed to tap into that mm. and Battlestar Galactica managed to take that idea of religious extremism and incorporate that into it and it was kind of at the time whereas other reboots are just there to try and cash in on a, mm. pre- a pre-existing franchise or idea without actually having something else to say with it i mean so sci-fi in general that's the that's the rule of science fiction is that it allows us to see the truth in in reality through fiction so possibly it might go down that direction but nothing obvious from those um first two episodes but I'll just point people towards the website again to setthetape.com for more articles on Lost in Space coming up this week, including uh, a who's who guide to the new series by uh, Wendy. So um, now we have our first ever music section of the podcast as I guess Latham runs through some of the albums he's been listening to this year in under two minutes. Hi, I'm Matthew Latham and this is the new music bit of the Set the Tape podcast. Hopefully a small repeating section where I talk about music for the next two to three minutes. As it's the first edition, I thought I'd ease you in gently by talking about a few of the albums I've really enjoyed this year so far. First up is Happy Accidents, Everything But The Here And Now. I love the first album, You Might Be Right, and this follows on from that sound. It's a bright, upbeat indie punk with a pop twist providing thoughtful lyrics in an upbeat way. The biggest evolution of the band is that the vocal duties have now gone 50-50 between Rich Mantel and Phoebe Cross. Whereas on You Might Be Right, Phoebe felt like a calming influences on Rich's introspective musings, here the balance between frantic and calm levels out the tone of the album. Next up is the self-entitled Super Organism debut album. It's a more subdued go team and it mixes everything from samples to everything ever made being used as instruments. It's also a mixture of every single thing at once alongside songs about FaceTime and wanting to be a prawn and I'm not joking about a song on there about wanting to be a prawn. The not-so-secret weapon of the band is the vocalist Urunogo Uguchi who has this low deadpan delivery that just works. The live show is an interesting blend of samples, lights and choreographed backing vocalists. It's definitely an album to listen to. Finally, the last album is one that I wasn't expecting to really like. I hadn't even heard of the artists until they appeared in my Spotify Discover weekly playlist. Grace Wunderkun has released the album Reveries and it's nothing short of amazing. It reminds me of the music that was played during Buffy the Vampire Slayer and Buffy the Vampire Slayer is one of my favourite TV shows ever made. It's a dreamy garage rock album that chugs along with 10 excellent songs. That's all I have for this week, but before I go, some albums to keep your eye on in the next couple of weeks. 
Coming up, we've got King Gizzard and the Lizard Wizard with Gumboot Soup, which is probably their 17th millionth album released in the last two years. There's the very interesting combination of Shaggy and Sting. Jury's out on that one, but their album 44-876 will be out soon. At the end of April, we have the Janelle Monet and the Speedy Ortiz albums coming out that might be worth a listen, especially after Monet's and You Make Me Feel video dropped and immediately rocked the internet. It's very much like Prince, and if you like Prince, you possibly would like that. But that's all from me, Matt Latham, signing off until next time. I need a tagline to end on. That was Latham's music roundup that we still don't have a name for, uh, but Latham. Super Organism. I saw them on Jules Holland a few months back, and since then I haven't been able to turn on the radio or put on a Spotify playlist without hearing Everybody Wants to Be Famous. Uh, tell us a bit more about this live gig that you went to see. Are they as weird as they sound? Yeah, I mean, if you've, it's like, it's like the Go Team had Prozac and calmed down a bit. <laughs> um, but I, I, like, it's like a mixture of different people from all around the world and different mm-hmm. parts of the US. Um, come together via the internet and like I think they kind of live together as well so like the album was all written from bits and pieces and then kind of formulated in like a shared living area I think right I think there's only one member of the band that doesn't actually live with the rest Um, so there's a there's there's a strong sense of like camaraderie and family Mm -hmm. Um, so you've got like your people that play the musical instruments at the side you've got three backing singers who are pretty much in like nicely technical uh, clothing um with like raincoats and everything there's a lot of light sh- there's a lot of lights there's a lot of projections on the screen and then you've got uh, the lead singer is like four foot mm. ten 18 year old who just like has this very deadpan way of like singing sure. and speaking and was also had the flu so it was like fighting the flu. Oh dear! And so, but it, it but it, it still was really good. It was still really great. The sound it sounded really good. Mm. Um, it was also very short. I mean, like all the songs they have, are everything off the first album, and I think it clocks it at about thirty odd minutes. Right. <laughs> so like, it was like the shortest headline set I'd ever seen. Mm-hmm. So they just did the album in like a different order, um, with all these fancy lights and everything, and then it was over. Um, there, was, there wasn't really an encore because they'd sang everything they had. <laughs> but it, but I, and like, I don't know, I liked it. I mean, like, yeah. you kind of see where they've got, what they've got to work on. And I think the lead singer having the flu and like co- managing to hold coughs during every song and then going into a coughing fit at the mm. end of each song. Um, I'd really like to see them again after a few more months of, uh, yeah, <laughs> a few more months of hiring the tour. But, they're a very interesting band. Mm, they did seem it on the on TV from that bit I saw. Steve, are you? I mean, how up on current music trends are you? Not at all. <laughs> have you, what have you been listening to lately? Anything? I don't even listen to that much music anymore. Yeah, which sounds weird, but I just in the car I mostly listen to Talksport because I just can't put up with Radio One. And I yeah. can't put up. Well, I say Talksport like. Five live anything. I just can't put up with adverts, and I can't mm-hmm. put up with like DJs. No, that's. Tr- I mean, They're, yeah. or radio hosts, whatever you call them now. I just can't put up with them. My car doesn't quite like syncing up with with phones or devices. Um, it's not that modern a car. Um, so yeah, mm. and I just don't listen to that much music. It's weird. Obviously, I've got favourites, um, but. Uh, 
I I wouldn't say I listen to new music a lot. What I kind of wanted to get at with this bit of the podcast, I think, is like in terms of how you guys get music, um, I'm very much now into just digital. I used for a while, I just stuck with CDs and then I'd rip the CDs and I'd, you know, upload them or put them on my uh, iPod or whatever. But now I just get it digital. I just get it straight to my phone, straight from Google Music. Easy. It's there. I can listen to it anywhere. But do, are you guys still into physical media or do you, are you gone digital as well? No, if I get anything, it's digital, mm. usually Spotify or something. Um, sure. All the CDs I had went onto iTunes a long time ago. Yeah. Um, when I still had CDs. I've still got CDs in the car, but none of them are new. Yeah. I mean, I haven't, yeah. got a, I haven't even got a CD drive on my Mac. Nothing. Can't. can't no, I haven't had a CD drive on, on my laptop for... I mean, a new one certainly hasn't got it. And the one I had before that, which was about six, seven years old, when it died yeah. the other week, that didn't have a, a disc drive on it. Mm. I think I'm asking this as a leading question, Nathan, but do you collect uh, vinyl by any chance? Um, I do, yes, but yeah. not not as um, obsessively as I know some people are. I mean, it's mm. just the bands and albums that I like. Uh, sure. And ma- the majority of the music I listen to is still is like all mainly digital now um mm-hmm. i'm like a i'm a heavy user of spotify um the mm-hmm. discover playlist is like perhaps one of the best features of it that i've ever heard of i mean every monday i'm like skipping through and quite a few of the bands that i've that i've now come to love in the last couple of years have been through that feature mm-hmm. um and who happen to be touring <laughs> very at the same time as well which is funny that isn't it yeah uh, algorithms and stuff but uh, but then um if i do like an album really really uh, if i do like an album i will buy it i mean i don't buy yeah. cds that often anymore well mm-hmm. i can't remember the last cd i bought but i will buy it on vinyl so and i've got a few i've got about 50 odd now so oh, it's kind of interesting in that like the, you mentioned the 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 way that you discover new music is through Spotify. Because I remember, like, when I was growing up and I was, you know, a lot more into music back then than I am now, and you would go by record label. So, you know, uh, Epitaph for all the pop punk stuff, or you go to Sub Pop for, like, Nirvana, and then that'd take you to Mud Honey, and, you know, you go to Soundgarden and Sonic Youth, and then, obviously, later, Shins, Marika Hackman, Fleet Foxes, that kind of thing, Sleet mm-hmm. Skinny. I mean, it's just, like, that's how I would get into music. Um, but I don't... I don't know if that even happens that often anymore. I mean, do, as someone who's more into keeping up with modern music, do you do you think people still follow that trend of going by record label, or do they just use things like Spotify? No, I think the record labels still ha- still are there. I mean, yeah. I follow a load on Twitter, and I think what happens is that you'll have like a band you really like. They get mm-hmm. signed to like perhaps an independent label. Um, one of my favourite labels is Alco Pop. They have a habit of actually signing up bands that I've been listening to for a while. I'm convinced that Jack, who's the head of it, is pretty much stalking my music taste. <laughs> and I, a lot of that is perhaps you'll you'll go you'll see a band live, and then some mm-hmm. of the supporting bands are on the same label. Um, one of the one of the labels that are very like that are Extra Mile, which I think they're they've got um, Frank Turner on there, and then right. Frank Turner on their label and quite a few of the bands that I've discovered or people that I've met uh, like have been because they supported him and everything like that. Sure. Um, and they, they've got a very strong social media presence. They're very much supportive of other artists that not, not on their label, but they will share friends of their artists' music mm-hmm. as well. 
my interest in music shot up since once I joined MySpace, and a lot of my favorite bands that I discovered ten years ago were me trying to find music, new music to listen, mm-hmm. and that was through MySpace. And I can't remember for the life of me how I discovered new music before then. I no. think <laughs> I was. I remember being an avid Radio One listener, and and I just I honestly cannot. I yeah. cannot see how the internet, how you discover in music without the internet. It's strange, isn't it? How much yeah. it's changed, just even little things yeah. like that. I I follow quite a few music blogs on Twitter as well, and because because of how niche people's tastes can be, you will if you've got a certain interest of like I don't know some kind of weird monk chanting electronica that mm. covers the human league. There's probably a blog based on it that you can follow, and they'll discover new monk chanting human league covering bands for you and and that again that's how i discover music i've written for a few music blogs and Mm. then they have writers that um know people and they share stuff and it's it's just like sometimes you just randomly stumble onto stuff well maybe from now on listeners to std rewind will be able to discover some new things so you're section on the podcast later. yes so. and my rule of thumb is the sillier the band name the better they probably are perfect ending i think thank you for listening to another episode of stt rewind you've been listening to me owen hughes set the tape writer steve norman and special guest matt latham if you enjoyed the show please leave us a rating and a review on itunes and share the episode with friends on social media follow us on facebook twitter and now instagram at set the tape thanks for listening and we'll be back with another episode of stt rewind in a fortnight's time mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Life's better with American Family Insurance because our home policies help protect your dreams and come with peace of mind. Save up to 25% by bundling home, auto, and life. American Family Insurance. Get a quote, find an agent at amfam.com. Products not available in every state. Discounts may not apply to all coverages on an auto or home policy. Discounts do not apply to life insurance policies. Visit amfam.com to learn how discounts may apply to you. American Family Mutual Insurance Company, S.I. and its operating companies, American Family Life Insurance Company, 6000 American Parkway, Madison, Wisconsin.